Bangor Worldwide has been promoting and supporting World Mission for over 85 years. Our podcasts are free of charge. You can find out more about us at www.worldwidemission.org. We hope you enjoy this talk. I had a lot of scriptures and they were all going up on the overhead, but this is the age of technology. And uh, since I spent a large part of my life in the middle of the Amazon jungle where there was no telephone and no electricity, well, occasionally there was electricity, I got used to there being no technology, so I'm not terribly worried about this tonight. We had, well, some of you I know will have come here in cars tonight. Some of you would have walked, some of you might have come on a bike, but if you live in the middle of the Amazon jungle, you really need a boat. We had a canoe with an outboard engine. We also had a boat that my husband had built. And since I'm married to a man who actually thinks he's Noah, (laughs) we also had as much jungle living in our house as there was outside the house. We also had a whole pile of parrots, which I was assured were amazingly rare specimens, which was, of course, why my kitchen was full of them and tiny baby birds and goodness knows what else. But we had one parrot called Pixie who had a death wish. It was a diabolical bird. And if I'd had my way, I might have helped it along with its wishing. (laughs) But the kids loved it. At that point, we had four small children. We took three little girls to the Amazon and another baby was born in our wooden hut in the middle of nowhere. But we used to have to get about on the boat and in our second missionary term, our kids went to a new tribes mission school. It took us two days to go down in our boat and three days to come up and the parrot went with us. It absolutely loved it. And so we would pack everything up we would need for that period of time, all the children in their life jackets, plus parrot on wheel of boat. And uh, we were heading out into the middle of the Amazon. It's hard to imagine how huge the Amazon is. Where we are in Donegadee, you can see Scotland, but in the parts of the Amazon, you actually can't see the other side of the Amazon. We had a boat that was about eight meters So once you got into the main flow of the river, you flew. And the bird loved it. It was his idea of dying and going to heaven, to be sitting on the wheel, because he used to just spread his wings out and let the wind rush through his feathers. Well, the stupid bird one day got extremely excited, jumped up in the air, kept jumping in the air and the boat kept moving in a forwards direction and the bird went over the side of the boat. The children all started to scream at the top of their voices so that Noah could hear that the precious parrot had gone over the side of the boat and was now disappearing back up the Amazon and all the children were screaming, Daddy, Daddy! He's dying, he's drowning, save 
save him. And the stupid man thought he was Tarzan. And he jumped straight over the side of the boat after the stupid bird. And I, I mean, he said to me, take the wheel. Take the wheel. You're this close to death, man. Took the wheel, turned the boat around so that I was facing going up the river. We weren't actually moving. It is impossible for me to describe to you how dangerous being in the middle of the Amazon River trying to rescue a parrot is. The children were all shouting over the side of the boat, Daddy's coming for you, Pixie. And I swear, I swear, the bird's going away with his feathers. And I mean... It was the wonder of the Amazon anyway, because it spoke both English and Portuguese. So people used to come for miles to look at it. And I used to think to myself, well, I could, I could see the headlines in the Newtonard Spectator. Local man lost, body never found, grieving widow arriving at Aldergrove with her children. I mean, standing up with what she got on. And, I mean, Gerald started to head towards me, grabbed the bird, threw the bird in the boat. His loving daughters wrapped the bird up in my best tea towel, started to do CPR on the bird. (laughs) They weren't bothered at all about whether the father was going to survive. I dragged him over the side of the boat, and there he is lying there, half dead. (laughs) And I just said to him, if you ever ever do anything like that again, I will personally throw you over the side of the boat. Well, I was, and things that were loving between husband and wife like that. And the bird, of course, was doing very well. And you know, as I was doing my pieces, the Lord spoke to me. And he said to me, Carol, You stupid bird. That is exactly what I did for you. And this is his story, isn't it? Because at the age of 20, I came from, I come from a fairly comfortable middle class English family. We all said we believed in God, but truthfully, none of us knew anything about God at all. One of the guys there was saying, he he wondered if there were any young Christians. Well, at the age of 20, I don't recall ever meeting a Christian. I certainly don't ever recall meeting anyone who had an intimate experience of God. I think I'm the first one God rescued for four generations in my family. I wouldn't, couldn't have told you what Genesis was from Revelation. But I thought I believed in God. But you see, his love is so great. His mercy is so great. That even when he sees these stupid, stupid people who think they have got it all sussed like that daft bird, it had no idea that all around it were animals and predators that thought it was lunch. And over the side of the boat, with not a hope of survival. And on June the 24th, 1966, 
I found myself in a Billy Graham crusade. I didn't want to be there. I was only there because my 15-year-old sister wanted to go, and I lived in the north of London, and my mother looked at me and said, you can take her. And I said, what do I want to go to one of these religious things for? They all sing and pray, and I thought, well, this is going to be a bore. So on the way to Earl's Court, I bought myself a book, Your Horoscope for 1966. And I thought, while they do all their preaching and their praying and their singing, I'll read my book until my sister's done whatever she's got to do. But in the immortal words of Bernard Manning, Jesus Christ ambushed me. I had no right or hope that God would rescue me. I didn't want to be rescued. I didn't even know there was such a thing as God in heaven. But oh, he came down. He came down on that night. I didn't go looking for him. He came and looked for me. The wonder of this book says he loves me. That's the gospel. And on that day, God came down, spoke into my heart. See, I didn't know God spoke. Did you know your God speaks? Sometimes I think we don't think God speaks, or maybe he's deaf. But we have a God who actually speaks. And that night, listening to Billy Graham, a man with such conviction, and he constantly was saying, and God is saying, and God says. And I thought, What has God got to say to me? And that night God came and like a video lifted my stupid life up. What the content of it was. I had it all sorted out. I had a great job. I was making a great salary. I had everything you could possibly want. I had my own office. I had a boyfriend. I was planning a wedding. And at night time, I was singing all in all the pubs and clubs in London. So I worked by day and I partied by night. You can say, I got it together. And then God stepped in. And do you you know something? Tonight, God's going to step into some of your lives. We're, We're not here playing games. God has given me a word for you. And on the June the 24th, 1966, I went up to the front of Earl's Court, having never prayed a prayer in my life, and I prayed that first prayer, and I said yes to God for the first time in my life, and it was a Damascus Road experience because he changed me. It took him a couple of years to clean me up. cleaned my mouth up. He cleaned my life up. He cleaned my attitudes up. He cleaned my heart up. Because you see, it's about the heart. It's about what's going on in here. Because all the issues of life proceed from your heart. So tonight it's about who's got your heart. The other things are the frills and the, the fringes. 
He rescued me from the kingdom of darkness and he brought me into the kingdom of the son he loves. He gave me a sense of my identity. I had no idea who I was. I didn't know where I was going. I didn't know what was going on in my life. And then suddenly I saw him and he was like my compass. And, and I knew that I knew where I was because I knew where he was. He gave me a sense of value. I didn't really value myself at all. But because he loved me, I started to value myself. He gave me a sense of security. I didn't really have that in my life. I, didn't, I wasn't just a very secure person. I wasn't a very confident person. But because he was in my life and he's my rock and he's my fortress and he's my shield and he's my hiding place, then I became a secure and a confident person. And very, very early on in my Christian life, I started to read the Bible. I started to devour the Bible. I got myself a copy of the Bible. And very shortly, the Lord gave me a couple of verses of scripture that changed my attitude towards my life. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and give you a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you and you will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart, for you are my workmanship, says Ephesians 2.10. You are my workmanship. You've been created in Christ Jesus for a very specific task. And God, my God, prepared it beforehand that I should walk in it. Do you know what that told me? I didn't have to worry about where I was going, what I was going to be, where I was going to become, even where... I ended up because you see, he'd already got it planned. And my business, my business in my own spiritual life was to seek first his kingdom, seek first him, seek first his plans, seek first his purposes and everything else in life he would add unto me. And very early on, I began to push in that direction saying to God, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? Who do you want me to marry? I gave the guy his ring back that I was planning on marrying. He wasn't going where I was going. And the Lord started to provide me with things. And if I've actually got a text of scripture tonight, it's actually in Hebrews 12. It's that Olympic theme. And in the NIV, he says, look, we've got this great cloud of witnesses. We've got some real veteran missionaries here. They're a cloud of witnesses saying, go for it, run for it, press into it. He says, let's throw off everything that hinders us tonight. Let's get rid of those sins which make us run slowly. Let's run with perseverance the the race marked out for us. Now listen, I have no idea what your race looks like. I'm here to tell you a bit about my race. I don't know what your race looks like. Some of you haven't even started running. But God has a race for you. It's got your name on it. And he needs the yes from you to start that journey. I remember sitting in church in Highgate very shortly after we got married. 
And it was just an ordinary Sunday, nothing very special about the service. And I was just sitting there, and my pastor got up. He opened Genesis 12. He he just opened the Bible to Genesis 12, and he started to read. And the Lord said unto Abraham, Leave your family, leave your country, leave your community and go into a land that I will show you and I will bless you. And the Holy Spirit just came down right where I was. I sat paralyzed. He just said, it's your word. I'm sending you away. I'm sending you to another country. I'm sending you like Abraham, stepping out, not knowing where you're going. And this was right at the very, very beginning. I want to tell you, there's no doubt about it. Looking at me, you wouldn't have sent me anywhere. It's lovely reading about the anointing of David in the scriptures, especially in the message. Do you know what the message says? He was the runt of the litter. Do you know God loves to choose the people that no one else would choose? Read the Bible. He chooses people that nobody else think are suitable. And it's not, you know, my dear ones, about how suitable you are or how gifted you are. God can give you giftings. He can give you the spiritual giftings you need. Do you know what? It's about you saying yes. When I look at myself and I look at what I've done and I look at who I am, it's not really that God got anything really good. He didn't get anything that was any much better than that stupid parrot. And I tell you the difference between me and some other people is that I just happen to say, yes, I'll do it. I don't know that this is a good idea, God, but I'll do it. I remember as we were praying about going to Bible college, Uh, John 5, the Lord bought John 5. You remember the man at the pool of Bethsaida and Jesus came and said to him, do you want to be healed? And the man said, well, you see, I've got this problem. I can't get in the river, in in the water. There's nobody, when the angel comes, there's nobody to help me. And really Jesus was just looking at him and saying, I wasn't asking you that. I wasn't asking you what you could do. I was asking you what you wanted. And the Lord said to me, Carol, do you want to go to Bible college? Do you want to serve me? And I said, yes, God, I do. I'm afraid, but yes, God, I do. And he said, that's all I need to know, because you see, the rest of it I can do. You get it? It's not about what you can do or what you've got to offer. It's about what he can do. God sent us to a Bible college With no grants, we began living by faith as we went to Bible college. We ended up in a tenement in Glasgow with no no furniture. We slept on a carpet for a while. The fleas in the place ate me alive. We We had no grants right through college. I kept saying to the Lord, why is this so hard? Why do other people find this so easy? And then, of course, when I look back, I realize God was preparing us for a jungle. I remember, I don't know if you know, um, that when Fred Astaire went and did his first motion picture test, whoever it was that looked at Fred Astaire's test said, can't act, can't sing, can dance a little. I don't know what people thought of me. Probably couldn't do very much. 
But oh, the Lord took me up. We did all sorts of things. And then one day, after years of raising support and we got on that plane and we finally ended up in Brazil. Let me tell you, no one becomes a gold medal athlete overnight. They train for years, they strip down, they start running, they lay aside the weights, they lay aside the distractions. And yes, do you know what he does? He does a miracle because you discover that as you're running your race, there's someone running beside you. You've got a coach who's not behind you, who's not in front of you, but he's running beside you, yoked up to Jesus. We ended up in a small town called Anori on the Hill Solimois, about 5,000 people. We lived in a small wooden hut in the middle of the jungle. There was electricity when the generator worked. And then there was water if the generator worked as well. Our water supply was a 45-gallon drum out of Donegadee Carpet Factory with a tin can on the top. You had to watch for the tadpoles because the frogs loved it. There was more jungle in the house than outside the house. The frogs were in for the cockroaches and everything else. The rats came in for the frogs. The snakes came in for the rats. And anything bigger than that, like the opossum, they came in for pixie, actually. You didn't came out of the river. There's no freezer. Well, your fridge might work if the electricity worked. So every day you're not sure what you're going to eat. It's whether or not there's any fish. Eating was sometimes quite a problem. And then it was fish, rice and beans, fish, rice and beans, fish, rice and beans for 365 days in the year. Unless someone killed a pig. Hallelujah. <laughs> Actually, one of our neighbors had her pig killed a big castanha, a Brazil nut, dropped off a tree on its head and killed it. And we all rejoiced <laughs> because we ended up with some more something more to eat. The mail came in every couple of months. Gerald would go down the river and buy staples. There were bugs in the flour. There were ants in the sugar. The rats came in to eat your Tupperware. Life was very difficult. Life was extremely difficult. I had to teach the children. There were no schools. So I had to homeschool the kids. And then... We also were dealing with people. We were ch church planting. We had um, a situation where 50% of our congregation were illiterate, couldn't read or write. I had to teach the children in my children's meeting how to draw pictures with crayons because they hadn't seen a crayon. When I got my flannel graph out, it took an hour to tell a 10-minute story because I had to explain this is a king. What's a king? Well, a king is someone who rules over a land. Well, what's that on his head? Well, actually, that's a crown. Well, why is it yellow? It's gold. What's gold? What is a lamb? You say, Jesus is the lamb of God. What's a lamb? Well, it's a bit difficult to explain. It's not a cow. 
He's not a pig. We had pigs, we had huge difficulties. Huge difficulties. And yet God sent us to these people from the other side of the world. And I want to tell you of the absolute joy, in spite of all the difficulties that we experienced, what it meant to sit down on the floor of someone's heart, house and start singing a hymn. And then explain to them what the hymn meant. What it meant to share a God who loved and cared amongst the women who didn't know who loved or cared. One of my neighbors had had eight children and she only had one alive. We had a 50% infant mortality rate. People died constantly. One of our neighbors, I remember seeing him carrying his two-year-old wrapped in a blanket up to the graveyard to dig a hole and just put the child in the ground. I used to think how Jesus would have felt at home in that place. But you see, in that place, the power of God started to move. And the Lord founded a work because people came to Christ one by one. And in that place, we learned who God really is. Because we found that he was a God who provided when there was nothing. I want to tell you, in all the 13 years we worked with UFM, we never had a debt. And that was because God raised up a whole team who kept us there. We saw the Lord provide and deliver constantly. We were surrounded by danger all the time. There were caiman in the river. There were tarantulas all over the walls. There were piranha in the river. We actually got called out to a man one night who got drunk and fallen in the, had fallen into the river. And they, they called Gerald out and they said, Pastor Gerald, you better come and pray for this man. He's fallen in the river and the piranha have got him. And of course, there was nothing left of him when we got there. Don't know about praying over him. We had a, mo- a meeting anyway, <laughs> because you could have an open air anywhere and told them about the brevity of life and the stupidity of getting drunk when the piranha are eating. All of our children at some point nearly died. Drowning, one fell over the side of a boat, one fell into the Hill Negro and wasn't noticed that she'd fallen. She was on a log and had gone out into the river. Another one nearly um, uh, was bitten by a very venomous snake. And so it went on. I caught hepatitis and was told that I was dying. Lots of people died at that time. And my liver went into failure. But I want to tell you, we believe in resurrection, don't we? You get, you know, when you're in these sorts of situations, to discover that you've got a God who the Bible says he is. He's a God who provides. He's a God who heals. He's a God who saves. He's a God who delivers. He's a companion when there's no one to speak to. I remember not speaking to another English person for about six months. It's lonely when all there is is monkeys. He's a companion. And do you know what wonderful thing God does? 
You see, this is my story. It's not your story. It's my story. But you see, what he does is his story becomes my story. And then my story becomes his story. Because he lifted me up out of the miry pit. He set my feet upon a rock. He gave me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to my God. Many will see and be glad and put their trust in the Lord. What causes me to be an evangelist is not what is in my head, but is what is in my heart. What causes me to be an evangelist is that I have that conviction and confidence that God is all he says he is and is well able to save and deliver and heal. If tonight this was a night about miracles, I could keep you here all night telling you about miracles, about people who were saved and healed at the same time. Marvelous deliverances. People who turned up at our door in the middle of nowhere and said that they were there because they dreamed of Jesus. And Jesus told them to come and go and find the foreigner because the foreigner had a very important message for them. And that's why they turned up on our doorstep. And Gerald led them to Christ. For the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach good news to beggars. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim freedom for captives, release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the day of vengeance for our God, to comfort all who mourn, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, oil of gladness instead of mourning, garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord. My dear friends, what I feel the Lord wants me to say to you tonight is it is extremely hard to do these things if you don't know it yourself and believe it to be true. It's a battlefield out there, you know. We're in a war. There is a war going on. And it's about lifting up him. His cross, what it does, his power, his name, all that he's able to do in a life. I tell you what, none of us gives the devil a second thought. He's not bothered about you or me. But he is bothered about him who has a name above every name. And his plan and his story has become my story. And that's what I'm telling you. He's made my story his story. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power is from God. It's not from us. You may come here tonight to hear all these missionary stories All the wonderful things that God has done, and he has. But it's in a jar of clay because the glory is his. For my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. So I'm going to boast in my weaknesses. So that he is the one who will get the glory. And people will be drawn to him and not to us. I just want to end because I, the Lord gave me a word in the year 2000. 
It's in Mark's gospel. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent, believe the good news. And as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net in a lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, he said, and I will make you fishers of men. And what that, the Lord, it was in my quiet time, the Lord just lifted it up and said, this is a now word. You who are young here, you who are older here, the challenge is yours too. Nobody tells you you can retire, you know, in the kingdom of God. There's no such thing anyway. Now is the time, says Jesus. It's a very important word, that karos. It's, it's the word that is used for a specific, a marked out A very special time. It's the same word that's used in Galatians 4.4. When the time had fully come, he brought forth his son. And Jesus said, the time has come. My dear ones, I want to tell you, your time has come. If ever you thought you were going to do something for God, now is the time. Because the time is getting short to say yes. You may think that the time to say yes is in your gifting. I want you to know the time has come. I'm a mother of five children. I praise God that because of where we've been and what we've seen, they have all come to Jesus and they all know him and they've all got a passion for him. And that wasn't really about their parents. They saw what God has done. And my desire for them is that they will run with the gospel in their race in this time and in this generation. I'm nearly 63. My day and my race is getting on towards the end of it. I can't go back and do it again. I wish I could. I'd love to go to China. Now, the Lord has opened lots of doors to me, and I do a lot of traveling and a lot of conferences, and I absolutely love it. But I know it's time for others to run with the gospel. It's time to others to get bold and say yes to Jesus. And you see here in this passage of scripture, when he looked at Peter, at Simon Peter and Andrew and said, come, follow me, do you think they were the finished product there? We know they won. They made some terrible mistakes. They were very immature people. But they lived with him. They walked with him. They watched him. He prayed for them. He became their special friend. He discipled them. They had an intimate relationship with him. And then finally, the Spirit of God came and filled them and transformed them and they ran their own race. Tonight, this is my challenge to you. All authority is given, in heaven, is given to me in heaven and in earth. Go you therefore, make disciples of all nations. This is God's challenge to you. How can you make disciples when you're not a disciple yourself? How can you run the race that Jesus has set before you? 
when you're not in that intimate learning relationship with him. Because it's that intimacy, it's that discipling with the one who's running with you, who gives you ministry. I don't share what is just mine. I share what he gives me. I share what I've learned from him in those places of difficulty, in those places of deprivation, in those places where I was afraid. And I said, God, I believe, help my unbelief. And seeing who he is and what he is and what he's done has given me passion and fire in my soul. I have no confidence in myself, but I have every confidence in him. At the end of the Olympics, I saw that the guys were singing that Queen song, We Are the Champions. And do you know what? We are. For I'm running a race that I'm going to finish. Because he is the author and the perfecter, the completer. He was there the day I was birthed. He's going to be there the day I breathe my last. And Paul said that he'd fought the fight, he'd run the race, he'd finished it. Henceforth he's laid up for me a crown. Dear ones, we're in a race that gets gold. But some of you haven't even started running. So tonight, this is the challenge. Say yes to Jesus. And seek his face for your race. I really feel in myself that I need really to give people an opportunity tonight. Because his word to you tonight is, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. I've planted you that you might go and bear fruit and keep on bearing, that your fruit may be lasting, that it may remain and abide, so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, representing all that I am, he's going to give you. you. You didn't choose me, I chose you. And tonight, some of you already know God is choosing you. God is saying, you're not much, but I'm choosing you. I don't know where God's going to take you or what you're going to do. Is it at all possible for us to put the lights up? Is that possible? sorry to make this difficult, but I'd like to look at you. You can't see anything up here. You can't see a thing. Dwell in me and I will dwell in you. Apart from me, you can do nothing. It has occurred to me as well that maybe there are some of you here tonight who actually have never come into intimate relationship with Jesus. You've never actually opened your heart and said, Jesus, here I am. Here's the mess of my life. Come in. Take my life. 
I'm going to run my race. I'm going to walk my race with you. Tonight's a day and tonight's a night for doing that. I'm going to give you that opportunity to do that. After the service here tonight, the team that have organized this are going to be down here. And I'm going to stay. I've got literature with me. The exhibition's out there. Please, if you want someone to talk with you, someone to pray with you, we're going to be here to do that. A band, would you like to come up, Rick? Would you like to come up? I'm wondering tonight, and I know how difficult this is, whether or not there are some of you here tonight who know that the Lord has been speaking to you. And do you know what? I would really like to pray for you tonight. We trust you've enjoyed this podcast. If you'd like to make a donation to support the work of Bangor Worldwide, please visit www.worldwidemission.org slash donate.